moving past COVID as we get back into life, probably not as it was before, but something similar. I think a lot of the effects of the trauma of just being isolated will come out. A change in circumstances and stress can trigger episodes of anxiety or depression in students. And with the changes in school and church dynamics due to the pandemic, how have students been mentally affected? In today's episode, we discuss signs we should look out for and when is the right time to step in if a student is struggling with suicidal thoughts. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. We've got a powerful interview coming up. Jason, you had this guest, what we're going to talk about here in a second, but we're glad that you're here with us for this episode in season 10. And we're, again, just so grateful that you're joining us and listening. And we want to always continue to, to say on this podcast that we want to do everything we can to help students. And as adults, we want to have these conversations, hopefully to encourage and inspire and give us specifics in what we can do to help students. We know that you are listening because you care about students in this generation and what they're going through regardless. And and so, yeah, I reiterate what Jeff is saying and thanking you for being a part of our audience, being a part of the Thought Factory podcast. And it would be great if you have not subscribed to our podcast in whatever platform you listen to, to go ahead and do so. It, it allows us to bring the most recent episode to your device. And we'd love to do that because then you are more likely to be reminded to listen to us on a weekly basis. Yes. And as always, we've got a resource that we'd love to get in your hands. And if you haven't done this before, if you're new to the podcast, there's research that we do with students across the country. It's very unique in terms of getting a pulse from students directly about their beliefs and behaviors, but also getting a pulse on what adults uh, there are perception of what students' beliefs and behaviors are and then comparing and contrasting those. So that's called our Adolescence in the Church Trend Report. So that's available at neverthesame.org slash trend report. You can download it there for free. In today's episode, we have discussed off the microphone, off record a number of times in regards to what students are dealing with specifically with the lockdowns and stay-at-home orders and being away from friends and in isolation and at home being virtual for school and what that is causing them emotionally and mentally. And just looking at the numbers in our own research and what we're reading on our own time of just the increase of depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts and suicide. And we wanted to address that in a way of just talking to those who are working with students directly in a mental health institute. And one of those people we interviewed today for this episode, her name is Eliza Lejeune. She's from Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services in Grand Rapids and gives a great insight of what they're dealing with, what she's seeing, and ultimately some handles for us as adults to how do we help students navigate some of these challenges that they are finding their students to be in. 
Along with this episode, the next episode, we're going to be talking about the same issue, but with a different perspective. And that's this to, this episode you're listening to right now will be more on the psychological sources and, and roots of, of the anxiety that students are dealing with. And the next episode is going to talk more about the physiological aspects of that. We're going to talk to someone who's been in this zone for 50 years working with adolescents and has some very specific things to say about the physiological factor when it comes to anxiety and depression and suicide amongst students and adolescents. And Jason, you had this interview and uh, she's from Pine Rest, which is right here in our backyard in Grand Rapids. But everyone listening should know that Pine Rest is one of the, the leading organizations when it comes to mental health from a from a Christian faith perspective. So it was really amazing to, to land this interview and, and, and to hear what she has to say on this issue. I would agree. She was great to talk to, kind of give some insight, especially for us as former youth pastors. I know of some incidents that I can think of where you go, how do I deal with this? Or what what are some of the actual protocols when you are dealing with a student and the the thing that came to my mind was as a youth pastor trying to lead other adults who may not know the exact protocol when dealing with suicide thoughts and suicide attempts and a student that just simply says i want to kill myself and where's that line of of confidentiality in what the student is sharing with an adult Versus an adult feeling like, am I breaking that confidence when I go to the authorities to report this? And it's a gray area that may be hard to navigate or hard to know when is the right time. And I love what Eliza said. She said, it's, it's very clear for us what to do. And that's what she will share later in this episode. Now, we know anecdotally working with students that that these are really difficult and challenging times for a lot of our students because of the lockdowns, because of the isolation, and the stats back that up. You know, from 2007 to 2017, the percentage of suicide rates went from uh, 8 to 13% between 12 and 17-year-olds. So between 07 and 17, those 10 years, and students ages 12 to 17, suicide went up from 8% to 13%. And so that's like 2 million to 3.2 million in terms of just pure raw numbers of adolescents. Right. And then if you look at a little bit further in the numbers, you can't look, uh, but I can look. The numbers say suicides among 10 to 24 year olds rose 56% in that time frame, the 2007 to 2017, overtaking homicide as the second leading cause of death in this age group after accidents. That is is a large increase among pre-adolescents and younger teens. And it's startling. It's, it is something that, that breaks our hearts. And that's why we want to talk about it. We want to be able to provide some insight, but also get you thinking about it and going, all right, what can we do as adult leaders when we're dealing with students that may have episodes of depression or anxiety or may start to admit I would want to end my life or it's not worth living for. And how can we help so that these stats don't become reality in our own ministries? 
And and a, a very current uh, number that helps us understand this too is that a national survey of a thousand enrolled high high school and college students, uh, jointly conducted by two organizations, Chegg C H E G G, and then the Born This Way Foundation, did a survey and found that that five percent of students reported having made a suicide attempt during the pandemic. Jason, that is crazy to think about that. During COVID, according to this national survey of students, 5% of students not just were thinking about it, but made a suicide attempt. So it's serious business. This is a really important conversation. Even though the suicides during the pandemic cannot conclusively be linked to school closings, the data is just not there yet, hasn't been generated from 2020. One study from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention showed that the percentage of youth emergency room visits that were for mental health reasons had risen during the pandemic. And so we are looking at the fact that what happened in the year 2020, the pandemic, lockdowns, stay-at-home orders, the school closings, isolation, students are separated from their friend groups, from adults that they trust, and it has caused this attempt and suicides to increase. And we we are just going, what what can we do as adults that that love students, that love this generation and want to see the best for them? So enjoy this interview and keep thinking about those students that you know and love and what we can do to help them, especially during this time that we're in the middle of. On the phone, we have Elisa Lejeune, a clinical social worker at Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services, a psychiatric hospital and behavioral health provider in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Welcome to the Thought Factory podcast. Elisa, I appreciate you joining us for today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. The first thing that I want to ask you is just tell us about yourself and your background. Yeah. So I would like to say that I am a health and wellness advocate uh, with almost a decade of experience. I'm getting there. Um, I assist clients in meeting their, their goals for their lives through individual, family, and couples counseling. I specialize in providing counseling for teens, adults, um, those dealing with depression, anxiety, spiritual concerns, family adoption issues, um, infertility, women's issues, uh, as well as I just became a small business owner. So kind of a range of different things. Uh, I got my bachelor's from Central Michigan University in social work, and then I went on to New Orleans to get my master's um, in social work in disaster mental health. And my first job outside of school was working in a psychiatric hospital. So coming back to West Michigan, Michigan area, uh, I'm really excited to be on the Pine Rest team. I've been there for about going on three years, I think. Um, so it's been, it's been good and kind of a, a wraparound and whirlwind situation. On a little side note, what is your, your business? Oh 
yeah, so I have a, a small wellness business that I launched in the fall. And so I've been doing uh, wellness boxes so people can get a box. It's usually adult women um, that have little goodies in there that kind of represent taking some self-care for yourself and, and taking time out to focus on your mental health. What is it called? Uh, so I call myself the Wellness Gardener. You can find me on Instagram. All right. All right. Hey, we have some <laughs> adult women listening to this podcast. You never know. You yeah. never know. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> might be interested. What draws you to the mental health services? What what brought you to that area of expertise? Yeah, I think um, going to school at Central, I had full, you know, uh, heart to come out pre-med and go into being an OBGYN. Clearly, that did not happen. I think for good reasoning, though, on my part. I had a couple of classes that I absolutely loved, and I went to the professor and asked him, like, hey, what can I get a degree in with this? And, you know, what, what kind of career would this be? And he's like, well, you could be a psychologist, you could be a social worker. And my family actually has a lot of social workers in it. So I think it's kind of like a, a God gift situation. Yeah. We're a family of helpers um, and being there for healing with one another. So it just kind of fell in line and made sense. I have a heart for, um, for people that are hurting, right? I know the Bible yeah. talks a lot about being there for people and, you know, him giving us... Um, in exchange for our ashes beauty, right? So I think that that's my main focus when it comes to, to being in the mental health field. We are talking about the mental health aspect of adolescence. That is why we are talking to you today on the Thought Factor mm -hmm. podcast. We are interested in the topics of depression and anxiety and yeah. suicide and the attempted suicide. And it just that is a concern for us that work with adolescents in particular and mm -hmm. and so what are the trends you are seeing before COVID-19 hit what are the trends you are seeing in adolescence in regards to depression anxiety and suicide so the trends that I often see in my office pre pre-COVID so actually physically in the office right now we're all virtual um, would be a lot of teens coming in for services kind of like dragging their parents to take them. So I've had so many teens that I've gotten and the parents will say, well, we're here because they said that they need to be here. Um, I don't know exactly what's going on, but you know, they told me that they need to go to counseling and they need to get the help. So a lot of teens are coming forward and voicing concerns um, due to stress and anxiety as well as suicide, right? Like that's, uh, a really hard thing to deal with as a family when you find out, especially if the mental health issues have been hidden, um, if the teen hasn't been or the child hasn't been forthcoming and what they're dealing with to then have this attempted suicide can be devastating. I mean, it's devastating in general, but it could be, you know, ground shattering of like, wait, I thought we were okay. I thought things were good. Mm -hmm. So that's a really common trend as well. Um, you know, teens from vulnerable populations are, are higher at risk. Uh, for, for having attempted suicide. So those who have a disability might be from a minority group, um, you know, just identify in some way that kind of leans against the norm of society, have a higher risk for attempted suicide. You mentioned stress as one of the factors. What would you say is one of the main causes of a student, an adolescent, choosing to, to go to Pine Rest because of their mm -hmm. mental health? 
Um, really a kind of deviation from the norm, right? Any type of change is stressful. So for a lot of my teens, it might be the idea of like, hey, I'm struggling with my grades. Grades is such a big um, issue in counseling for me. I feel like a lot of teens are in these programs that are very much um, college focused, which there isn't an issue there, but it, it's, it's so common nowadays to always be in competition with the next person, uh, which is very much shown with social media. So it's always like, okay, this person is doing this, I need to do better than them. Uh, so this strive for perfection really drives up the stress for a lot of students. I have a lot of parents who will say like, you know, we're not, you know, telling them they need to be a straight A student. But for some reason, they feel like if, if they get one thing wrong, then they're horrible, their life is no good. And it's really a lot of all or nothing thinking. If things are good, they're great. But when things deviate from that, it's absolutely the worst, uh, which we know life is no constant of always good or always bad, right? It's kind of finding grace to get through those hard times. Yeah, sometimes as parents, we can put a lot more pressure on ourselves and be a, a point of stress in our yeah. kids' lives. And sometimes we can place blame on the parent as well of saying they are stressed because the parent must be placing that that yeah. onto and projecting that onto the, their kids. <clears throat> and, and you're kind of saying that's not necessarily the case because of social media, because of the comparison aspect of just their peers at school, they are able to be exposed to so many more people around them yeah i think that i mean there's definitely you know parents that can cause stress it's it's a stressful job as well as it's stressful uh, on the kids but a lot of times it's, it's self-inflicted or just peer pressure i think that um the stakes are higher nowadays like when i was a kid it might be you know someone has the newest walkman or you know something else but there wasn't this i couldn't easily go on my phone and see what kids around the world are doing, right? Like TikTok, you can go on, it's tons of videos. You can see what everyone is doing. You don't even know these people. And you're like, how do they have this? And how do they have that? And they're so young. And what about this? Oh, I need to have a business. I need to be doing all these things. I need to have straight A's. Oh, she's getting into Harvard. It's like this constant um, access to whatever is happening with anyone at any given time. Um, and a lot of kids, and teens have a hard time dealing with impulse control. I feel like even adults, right? Like in knowing when do I shut off my phone? When do I put this down? How much time do I limit when I'm on Instagram or Facebook? Um, I think they say like, you know, a lot of people can spend up to 20 hours a day just on the internet looking at things. Even as adults, we look at it a lot. So we're asking a lot for our kids to then know how to, to monitor themselves. That's a lot to do. So it really is the parent's responsibility to kind of step in and say, okay, what are the limits we're going to put around these gifts of, of access to information? Because that's what it is, right? It's, it's a gift, but at the same time, you know, it can, it can have consequences. And social media has existed before the pandemic hit. And mm -hmm. it was definitely a point of concern for many years. And yet, because of the pandemic, because of COVID-19 in 2020, we have shut down and students are more virtual. They've gone into lockdown and stay at home and more likely to be online on their devices mm -hmm. and interacting digitally, which mm -hmm. my next question is what is happening now since COVID 
in regards to the comparison, in regards to the feeling of depression because they're not meeting the expectations of everybody else that is mm -hmm. self-imposed on them. I feel like COVID-19 has had a really interesting effect um, on, on most groups of people, but especially for teens, it, it's kind of like a twofold where maybe the anxiety isn't quite there. A lot of people have said that it, it stepped back just a tad bit because everyone, they feel like no one knows what they're doing right now. So it's like everyone's in this constant state of unknown, um, but also looking at it from the viewpoint of my only way to really connect with those who aren't like safely within my bubble, right? Like if my family hasn't said, this is to be my person and we can meet and go over, um, you know, really I can just talk online and then my parents are in my face and then I have rules and I have chores and I have to do all these things and parents are now at home, right, with their teens. And so I think a lot of times now parents are catching on to things um, that maybe were going underneath the radar before. You're like, hey, you you sleep a lot or you're always in your bedroom on your phone. Let's take this phone away, which is really important for parents or adults to do to always kind of be keen on those behavioral changes uh, to help regulate that person's behavior, right? If they can't do that for themselves. Like, oh, I noticed you're not, you're not eating much. Like when's the last time you had a meal? Like if it's a, a food disorder or something happening. So there are more eyes going on in the home, but as well in terms of social media, it's harder in terms of you're seeing breakups happen online. You're seeing friends that maybe at school would have a disagreement and they're no longer talking, um, you know, have to block each other on the Internet. And then that can last longer because at least when we are person to person, reconciliation can happen a little bit easier. Because like, oh, I know I'm going to see you in my class, my third hour. Oh, OK, I'm going to have to, you know, deal with you on the basketball team. We're going to have to confront this issue. But when you're at home and online, you don't have to. And then the bullying can kind of start. So there's kind of a rise of drama that ensues around it and not really having anyone to help uh, bridge that gap to reconcile or deal with those um, conflicts, those communication issues. One of the things that I've noticed that has come about because parents and students are more at home and, and mom and dad are more closely uh, intertwined than they may have mm -hmm. been in the past because work and everything got them out of the house that that's causing families to break down and mm. split up. And, and because mom and dad realize that they don't want to spend all this time together, they, they don't like each other. They don't love each other and mm -hmm. they are breaking up. And then the students are feeling the effects of that and carrying that weight. Are you seeing similar situations with, with that, the weight, the burden of their families being in closer quarters? Absolutely. Um, I've had plenty of sessions, probably even this week, where a lot of the children recognized that their parents' marriages were, were unhealthy in some form or fashion, but a lot of those issues had gone on the radar because parents would go to work and you not have to be around them, you're at school. But now that we're all in close quarters, like you said, the arguing can be more intense or maybe at this point you can't ignore it anymore. Um, and one of the partners is saying like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm asking for you to leave the home. I, I want this divorce. Like I'm ready for this now. And a lot of children are coming to terms with like um, that breakup and separation. I've had a lot of teens who feel relief in the idea of like, I just want the arguing to stop, right? 
or some are just like, I can't believe, you know, they're finally making a decision. Because as, we as people can get used to chaos and even a change in that chaos, either even for the positive, right? Like some families are like, hey, we're going to work this out. And we're going to go to marriage counseling and we're going to make it work. And then the teen is like, wait, I'm so used to there always being an issue between you two that I could kind of hide some of my behaviors that are going on. Like, hmm. what does that look like for us to now have healing? And I have to get confronted with like my own anger, you know, having been in this home, with all this arguing and you guys are good now, but I don't like the fact that I had to go through years of that. So that is extremely common right now. That is definitely interesting where you think the, the teen is like, the focus is on mom and dad on each other mm -hmm. and they, aren't focused on me so I can get away with mm -hmm. certain things. Now, yes. mm -hmm. now they're working out and now they're checking mm -hmm. in on me. Now that's impeding on my freedom that I yeah. enjoyed. And yeah, that's a, you would think that'd be a good situation that mom and dad are reconciling and working it out yeah. and, and are more engaged with their kids. And the kid may be saying, I, I'm not used to this. I, that's a very interesting thing that, that we can get mm -hmm. comfortable in the chaos. Yeah, it's just like the same thing with siblings, right? Like growing up, if you have siblings, and then there's always like that one sibling that parents are like, oh, we always have to watch them. They're doing something sneaky. The other kids can kind of get by with doing hmm. stuff because there aren't eyes on them. But yeah. once that kid maybe goes off to college or, you know, their behavior straightens up, and then the parents realize like, hey, actually, it wasn't, you know, the toddler writing on the walls it was the middle schooler like <laughs> this whole time we thought that this was you right so it's really having those eyes uh that covid has kind of gifted us with in time <laughs> a right. lot of time at home to figure out like hey what's happening in my family um you know where are those those rotten seeds and how do we take that out or, or what does it look like moving forward for us to heal you know Every kid has a different home life situation. And unfortunately, you know, every child wasn't going home to a safe environment, right? Like we know this to be true, working in school systems or, or just life in general. So those children who are witnessing domestic violence or abuse are at higher risk because they're stuck in the house now. And you don't have that escape like you once did of, let me go to school or I can stay at the school and do sports. or I do tutoring or I have a job. A lot of kids, you know, will work at like fast food. And a lot of places are cutting hours. So a lot of things are being confronted head on. So moving past COVID as we get back into life, probably not as it was before, but something similar. I think a lot of the effects of the trauma of just being isolated will come out. We're just trying to help those who work with students to help navigate some of those different scenarios because we know the emotions are different but yeah. but we know the the inability to uh, do something has drastic effects, and mm -hmm. we we don't want to see students who go down the road of suicide or live in a mm -hmm. a state of depression for a long period of time because of these circumstances. Because we believe in the hope of Jesus Christ, and yeah. we want that hope to be extended and realized and transformational in the lives of students. And, and yet we're all trying to help them navigate this and it can be definitely hard. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate what you are doing uh, at Pine Rest and the mental health avenue of adolescence. I know your job goes well beyond yeah. that, but uh, talk a little bit about the forecast of what you and your team are seeing or predicting for the lives of students post 
COVID? It'll really be helping students adjust to to the new life, right? Which is tricky because none of us have an answer. And I think that's the hard part where it's like, well, predict what might happen. Like only God really knows, you know, like hopefully what we can focus on um, are the truth. Are the truth are that there's support and access if you need it, right? Um, and then that way, like teens also know that they can reach out. I think that's one of the big things now that has come out of social media or just um, reducing the stigma of mental health services is that it's okay to say, I need this. I've had teens drag in their whole family and say, well, we're here because, you know, the kids said that we need to work this out and we need to talk as a family. And I'm like, wow, I don't think when I was like 14 or 15, I would have had the guts to tell my parents, right. okay, let's go to, you know, I wouldn't, I don't even know if I would be able to do it now. I don't even think I could articulate what I was thinking. I don't think I could think. either. No, right. not at all. And so so for, kids have the lingo, and they're not afraid of telling someone, like, hey, yeah, I went to therapy yesterday. Like, it's not a thing of, like, ooh, you're crazy or yeah, something's yeah. going on. It's like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, it's so common that I think that that stigma is reducing, which is so helpful. So focusing on, you know, what's true, if that's getting help through your church, uh, you know, reading scripture as a family, finding ways to connect, and if it really is not, you know, helping you or to soothe, you know, that burden of depression or sadness that you're going on, it's always okay to reach out. Like there's someone there who can connect with you and meet your needs. Um, you know, hopefully coming out of all of this, we have a gift of resiliency as a group of people. Mm. But honestly, um, the goal and hope is that we are able to find ways to calm anxiety. Like God does not want us to be anxious for anything, right? And knowing that whatever we're going through, He's going to help us and guide us. It might turn out, it might not turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, but for whatever situation, you know, we'll be equipped for what we need moving forward. Um, so I think that that's probably really going to be the main thing is focusing on like, what does life look like going back? Because some people really enjoy it. Like I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. I love being <laughs> in my house. I don't mind it. Absolutely. It's safe and cozy. I'm preparing myself for like, okay, <laughs> you have to go back out into the world. It's an easy uh, no when somebody. Yeah, you're not doing it's COVID. Hey, you want to hang out? Oh, I can't go out. No. There's no way to go out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, where we can go walk the mall safely, you know, six feet apart. Like, what's the do? All the restaurants are closed. <laughs> There's, there's nowhere to go. Like, you're saving so much money, technically. But, you know, right. the DoorDash and those things, and so not really. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really. You know, I'm, there should probably be a really big uptick in workouts after yep. uh, COVID is done. Everyone's going to be trying to get fit. Yep. There's certain things we know for sure. Uh, but the things that we don't know, it's really going to be like, what are the family-healthy coping skills that we have? You know, who are our support people? Who do we trust to reach out to to say, like, hey, my kid is struggling. Do you have a recommendation for a therapist? Is there someone you know, you know, that we can trust, that we can reach out to and, and talk about what's going on? And I think, um, you know, the key thing is when you notice a child is struggling, to find ways to give them affirming language when you talk to them, right? You know, if a kid is coming to you and they say, you know, I have thoughts sometimes of cutting myself. Cutting is a really big thing for teens and youth. To not say like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. What are you even thinking? Right. They're never going to tell you anything else again, right? Like that completely shuts it down. So saying like, you know, life can be really hard and difficult. I'm sorry you feel like you have to hurt yourself. Let's find a more, you know, healthy way to deal with those those really bad emotions that are causing you so much pain, right? 
same, you know, it's not the same thing, but it's more affirming language to say like, you need help. Like th- this is, this isn't okay. Let's find a way that we don't harm ourselves. Kids and teens will be open to that. Like, yeah, yeah, I can understand what they're saying, but you're not judging me as a person. You're not telling me as a person that I'm crazy. I'm bad. Like to not use language that all identifies upon that person, a title, like you are now labeled this. No one really likes those type of labels. Uh, and we know that we can all change, like, biblically, right? There are people in the Bible who are murderers and all types of things, and they change their behavior after following Christ. So we don't need to be labeled with these things. Uh, we just need to identify, like, this behavior isn't healthy, and let's get to a more healthy place. Well, when you mention the word crazy, no one wants to be considered crazy. And so, no, yeah, when, when you're talking <laughs> about the mental health and you start to suggest therapy, it seems like before that would imply that you're you're considering that i'm crazy by you just suggesting that but Mm -hmm. now there is a little bit more like you said an acceptance to that and so that's one way that that an adult could while they're investing in the lives of students to to say hey have you considered therapy in yeah and just seeing a therapist about these issues because that goes beyond the scope of my own understanding of what you're dealing with and that can be very beneficial and helpful to those those students. And we as adults who invest in the lives of students, what can we practically do to help students? Because yeah. this is a, a topic that you don't want to identify a student as crazy or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely acknowledging that hope is okay, like you said, you know, even the, the quick statement of, have you talked about this with someone? And I say, like, no, only you. And you're like, well, have you talked about this professionally with someone? It, it's an easy go-to if you don't know anything to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's an opening. Okay, would you be open to talking to that? I think you should talk to someone, like just put it off, put it off from someone else in a helpful manner. Um, that's definitely helpful. As well as parents are those who interact with that teen to increase a healthy lifestyle, as fast food, food, making sure they have vitamin D, especially here in Michigan in the winter, you know, opening up the blinds, having them light, taking family time out to do fun things. Because even though people who are depressed can laugh, can smile, can enjoy a meal, like there are certain things that we as just humans need, right? So everything isn't always horrible there are those just little glimmers and if we can in- increase those little glimmers that helps increase serotonin so finding healthy things that we can do to um, kind of change our moods around as well as paying attention to the signs the change in behavior if it's the middle of summer and now they're wearing all long sleeves right that's that's a red flag usually you're like oh aren't you hot you know or like you usually don't really dress like this. Is something going on? You know, have you been self-harming? Do you have trouble with this? Like, is this an area we need to be more aware of and keeping the knives away, keeping the razor blades away, um, encouraging that child to have positive outlets, not just sitting in their room, right? Get outside, have fresh air, call a friend, be on Zoom. Um, if we all, you know, sign up for some type of online workout or go on YouTube, there's tons of free things on YouTube, craft as a family. Um, that's really important as well. I think just being there, affirming that it's okay to seek help, uh, and then reaching out if you can. I know things are different. We're not all in person, but if you have a teen or youth that's on your heart that you know kind of struggles 
to reach out, even if it's just by text. Like usually, we'll and you know, everyone answers a text. Like, hey, I thought about you lately. How you doing? You know, I miss your smile. Any you know, fun stories happen over the break for you? Oh, is something really difficult happening? I'm always here if you need me. Like just having that lifeline out, right? You might not ever hear anything back. They'll remember, like, hey, this teacher said, or this you know, pastor or this youth person said that if I need them, they'll answer my call. They'll answer my text. They won't judge me if I tell them something. You know, definitely setting those boundaries with them, though, of like, hey, if you tell me you're harming yourself or going to harm other people, I kind of have to break confidentiality here and, and tell a parent or tell someone. So that way we keep you safe. But always focus it on we keep you safe and not like because this is crazy or this is out of the world or, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. It's just because it's all about safety, you know. So always going back to that, but really having a lifeline out will be the most important thing. One question I have, and this mm-hmm. comes from me being a former youth pastor, and I'm sure there's a number of youth pastors, youth workers, just even adults who are working with students that may have this question in regards to suicidal thoughts and mm-hmm. the prevalence of it, of when to step in and call authorities and when to not just reach out, but to actually mm-hmm. do something that will bring them to a place like Pine Rest or or a place where yeah. they can get more formal uh, expert help. When When is that line? Because when we're working with, with students and there's conversation going or a text thread that's happening and, and mm-hmm. there may be a flag that goes up that's like, well, that's not, that, that's questionable. But mm-hmm. are you willing to step in and disrupt the student's life by saying, hey, we're going to need to call authorities. Like, where is that line that could possibly be helpful for those who are working with with adolescents and students on a weekly basis? I can see how this could be tricky. Um, I feel like in our line of work, it's just clear cut and dry. So I'll, I'll just go by the rule that I usually do. You know, if, if a teen or youth says that they are suicidal or having thoughts of harming themselves, you automatically go into, you know, uh, safety planning is what we call it. So there are safety plans online. If you're not a trained mental health professional, you can kind of look them up and see what the gist of it is. I would not go out of bounds with whatever your, you know, job or career is, but you kind of get a viewpoint of what this means. And really what it is, it's like, okay, let's look and see where you're at. Are you at um, a place where you have a plan, right? Simple language. And they're like, well, what, you know, what's the plan? Most people know what you're talking about. But if they're like, yeah, I have the knife or I'm going to, you know, overdose. Or I'm going to do, we're already at this step. Now, mentally that I know that you, you cannot keep yourself safe because you have a clear cut plan of taking your life. So this is where I have to break confidentiality or get informed with talking to, you know, your parent or whoever is your emergency contact of saying, hey, right now, so-and-so is not doing too well. They're having these really intense thoughts. I think, you know, they should go and talk to a professional, right? You don't have to divulge too much stuff, but at least let them know their child isn't safe. If you're doing, um, you know, text message or something like that, that that comes up, you can always call the cops to do a wellness check if you know their address. So that is the tricky area with things being so virtual nowadays of knowing uh, where that teen or youth is living and having emergency contact for them. So my my hope or goal would be if you have their information, you can then, you know, know who their parents are or some of that. 
but even talking to them like, hey, what, you know, is it okay if I call you right now and I just keep you on the phone line? And if I keep you on the phone line, I can gather some information from you to do some crisis stuff. Let's, you know, where address are you located at? You know, I already know your phone number. Let's get a way to track this. Or even calling the cops if you just don't know and say, this is their phone number. They told me that they are having thoughts of harming themselves. I don't really know where they are. I mean, you know, I know they live in this city, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, we all have trackers on our cell phones and things like that nowadays. The cops can then go from there and do their investigation and figure out, you know, how the best way to get them some help will be. But if any child says they have thoughts of self-harm or suicide, that's when you really step in and say, like, you know what? Things aren't going too good for you right now. You're, you're really struggling. Let's, let's get you someone to talk to. This is okay. You know, people have these thoughts. And I think affirming that, because I think people automatically seem like, oh, that's crazy if you don't want to be here anymore. Why is it hard? People have those thoughts from time to time. Sometimes they're passing is what we call them in, in uh, the mental health field. And that's where you might be like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. But then you go have cake and watch a TV show and you go about your day and it's like, well, whatever, you know, like. It, it was crummy at that moment, but you don't really ruminate on it. And then that's where you get to the place where like, okay, well, my family will really miss me, but I could do it this way. I should write a letter. Now you're getting really far into this thought process and obsessing over it. And that's where we don't want you to get into. But if you are there, we as professionals can help you get out of that. Um, so you definitely have to step in and call and contact someone and, and get an adult to help get them the help they need. Even the aspect of confidentiality, th that yeah. is one of those areas where a, an adult does not want to break that with mm -hmm. a student when they feel like they've divulged some information that is private and they're they're sharing some deep secrets and it's they're trusting this adult with this information. Yeah. And I think there's times when as an adult you go, man, when, when should I take this information and provide it to somebody else so that this student can get some help and that is that's very helpful for anybody listening that this is cut and dry like some of these mm -hmm. things that get said and yeah. and it helps us navigate in those situations because we don't want to make the wrong decision and and yeah. either think oh they're just it's just a phase or it's just something that they're dealing mm, with and mm -hmm. it's a moment so we're just gonna let this pass or they're being dramatic and that's their personality and we we write it off and something serious happens and then we carry that weight of guilt that area i think is is very very good to know that this is a, a cut dry area yeah. that that was a very cut and dry and, and cut and dry all the way to the point of like, I think it's helpful for you or, you know, ministers and teachers when you're working, because teachers especially, I think, are mandated reporters. So that's if, you know, someone's experiencing uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, trauma, violence, anything like that. And they tell you, you have to report to, you know, CPS, Child Protective Services. I think as well sometimes for youth pastors and pastors, they have that same mandate. So knowing what the rules are when you're working with children as like a career and job is very important, even as a volunteer, because you don't want it to come back on you. And they're like, hey, I told you this. And right. you did nothing about it, right? And something happens. No one wants that responsibility, just from a moral standpoint, as well as your lifeline, right? So when you're having these meetings or meeting with uh, someone from the first time, I always go over ground rules, right? Like in, in here, this is confidential. You can say whatever you want to say. But if you say a couple things, those bring up flags. So we have to uh, maybe then break confidentiality. And I tell them if it's abuse, 
uh, as well as if you want to go harm others, right? Like there's been a rise over the past few years regarding um, school shootings and things like that. If someone tells you, you know, I have a plan to go hurt other people, that's not okay either to be like, oh, well, it's not yourself, so I can't say anything. So I go over these rules, and a lot of kids will laugh. They're like, ah, I would never do that. I'm not thinking about that. And I'm like, well, it's better that we have this conversation now before you're in crisis than later when you get in crisis because I can be like, hey, remember, you know, in the beginning when I said, you know, this might be one of those times where we have to break confidentiality, and they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I'm, I've never, knock on wood, uh, in my career yet had a kid come back and say, or even teen, I say kid, but I mean kid or teen, say, you know, I'm so mad at you, you told that I said I wanted to hurt myself, especially if you do it out of love. And I think that's important is your tone and the way you say it. You're like, you know, it sounds like you're really struggling. I don't want you to do this because I care about you so much and I want you to be okay. Like, I want to see you again in my office a month from now, a week from now, next year. Like, I want to know that you go on to do what you said you wanted to do, you know, kind of remind them of what their goals were. If you said you wanted to go to college or you wanted to have a family one day, whatever that may be, I want to help you do that. And right now it sounds like you're not able to to see ahead of the future and there is a bright future for you. So let's get you the help that you need. You know, it's kind of hard to be like, no, I'm never going to do that. I hate you so much. And even then as, as an adult, it's okay. Like, as a parent, I feel like all the time you might say no to your kid. Well, he's not all the time. But, you know, a lot of times you're saying no, but it's for their well-being. Just how at times we can pray about something and God will, you know, respond to that prayer. Like, it's a no. Like, I'm not going to give you that. But it's because it's for our well-being, right? Like, he doesn't withhold good gifts. So if a child is not doing well and they might hate you later because, you, you know, you had to break confidentiality and get them help. I'd rather you be alive to hate me than not be around and like me, right? Like, right. that's what it comes down to. It's like, all right, at least I know you're safe. <laughs> like, that's okay. Job done. If you never want to talk to me again as your therapist, I will get your referral to another one. But you're alive. My job is done there. Well, and I don't, you know, take that with me. Well, we, we fear that response from them instead of, of not doing what's right. It reminds yeah. me of when I was a resident assistant in college and there was a girl that was absolutely drunk beyond mm -hmm. comprehension and I had to call the cops and uh, an ambulance had to come and, and take her. Wow. And I just remember the anger that she had as they were coming to her door yeah. and kind of dragging her out and just all the the words that came out of her mouth directed at me in anger that, mm -hmm. you know, how could you do this? I thought you were cool and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah. but, but she is in my mind, uh, an example of someone who came back afterwards and said, thank you for doing that. It's, it changed yeah. my life. It made me realize the path that I was going on and mm -hmm. you saved my life. And mm -hmm. we, we sometimes go, oh, I don't want to disrupt their life in their current state. And yeah. I am fearful of their response. I don't want them to get angry, but we have to look mm -hmm. beyond and see the potential and the vision that life could be when they are mm -hmm. not dealing with these things. And those who invest in, in the lives of students, it's, it's a hard balance sometimes because sometimes we just want to be liked and we want yeah. to be their friends, you know? And, <laughs> 
Yeah, he does. Like everybody, I mean, I don't know, anyone wants to be this way. Like you just want to, and that, that is a really hard situation um, between doing what, what you know to be right but you know it's going to have consequences for someone. Right. Right? Like, like you know that it's the right thing to do, but you're like, ah, I just know that this is going to be a messy situation moving forward. And that's okay, because then you also teach that youth that sometimes doing the right thing is not easy, right? And there's going to be backlash, and you might not be liked for it. But if it's the right thing to do, right always remains right. And that's just it, right? Like, right always remains right. That is a good word. The right yeah. is always going to remain right. Well, Eliza, yeah. I so appreciate your time. We are so grateful for what you have as a wealth of information and knowledge and expertise just speaking into this topic. And we appreciate your time today joining us for the Thought Factory podcast. Can't thank you enough for what you have shared and we hope and pray that what you shared is helpful for those who listen to this episode. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.